0: Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today. What they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Dr. Alexi Nazim is the co-founder and chief executive officer for Nomad Health, the leading digital marketplace for temporary healthcare jobs. Through his entrepreneurial ventures and medical expertise, he has grown the company to over 500 employees and raised over $200 million in capital since its founding. Dr. Nazim has more than two decades of experience in the medical and healthcare sector and remains an active member of the Department of Medicine faculty at Weill Cornell Medicine. Prior to Nomad Health, he served as a resident physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital, national field manager for the 100,000 Lives Campaign, and was a clinical fellow at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Nazim earned his bachelor's degree in molecular biophysics and biochemistry from Yale University, his medical degree from Yale University School of Medicine, and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Hello Dr. Nazim and welcome to the Healthcare and Higher podcast. Thank you. Good morning to you too. Wonderful. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. We're very excited to hear about the many great things that Nomad Health is doing and the way that it's starting to really delve deep into the the factors that are causing some of the the healthcare staffing challenges and, and how your company's been able to address that. I know many of my listeners today are probably hearing about you or meeting you for the first time. Why don't we take this opportunity and have you formally introduce yourself? Please tell us a little bit about who you are, what your role is, and how do you help take healthcare to a higher level?
1: Uh, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, so, I'm Alexi Nazem. Um, I am a physician by training. Um, I live in New York City and um, have been in the uh, uh, in my current position as the uh, co-founder and CEO of Nomad Health uh, for about eight years. I got my start in healthcare almost 20 years ago uh, in an entirely different uh, realm. I was in the um, healthcare uh, systems improvement and quality improvement area. um, And I got a very interesting front row seat to, you know, the opportunity to drive better quality outcomes for um, uh, for patients in all kinds of settings all across the world through the use of evidence-based medicine and a whole science around improvement and uh, best practice change management. Um, and uh, got my start there at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, which is a very important foundational uh, time in my career got a chance to work with some brilliant people like Don Berwick and Maureen Bisignano and a number of other um, luminaries in that field. And I think that really set me off on the course that I am now. After that, I I did end up going to medical school, doing my medical training. Um, I I ended up uh, um, becoming an internal medicine doctor uh, and worked for several years as a hospitalist. Um, But I always was attracted to the opportunity, as I was in the beginning of my career, to Um, to improving healthcare in in a variety of different ways. Um, And so I sought out um, means to do that. Over time, I became more and more attracted to um, these outside-in opportunities, you know, essentially um, small companies, uh, especially technology-driven companies that would try to uh introduce a better way of doing things um i often talk about uh the schumpeter's uh, theory of creative destruction it seems like you have to uh, you you really have to uh be interested in in doing something completely differently being very creative but destroying some things along the way in 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 order to uh create some you know some new pathways that are more effective and um and so i i got involved in the um uh, startup world. i uh, thinking that you know there was a, probably a very uh, a very um, big contribution that small companies could make. Small companies that start small but become big and have a big impact. Um, I went to business school. I developed the uh, the sort of some of the basic skills. Uh, developed uh, some network in the area and. Um, and just kept finding new problems to work on uh, as a clinician. And then eventually, as I said, about eight years ago, jumped out to start this company, which is focused on uh, the healthcare workforce and especially the clinician shortage. So yeah, I mean, it's always, it's been a winding journey, but um, always with a similar focus, which is how to uh, improve healthcare or in the language of this podcast, how to take healthcare higher. Um, And uh, it's been a, it has been an exciting journey that I think is only just beginning. So I'm looking forward
0: to, for my own sake, to see where things go. Yeah, and and uh, really, I'm uh, um, I'm very excited to have you on here, right? Because many of the guests that have walked into this space from uh, healthcare, trying to address the healthcare talent shortage, um, really came about around COVID, right? So in the last two or three years, we've seen many companies start to form. But you were already like you know well in advance of this because you understood you know some of the factors that were leading up to the great the you know jumping off the cliff, and and just COVID pushed everything in that direction. But you've been able to see and actually you know really be at the forefront of how to address uh, this this drought uh, that we're experiencing today. For those that are listening today, that maybe have not heard of Nomad Health, like Alexi had said, you know, it was founded in 2015, and I love the mission, right? Like the way that you describe your mission is really remarkable for me, and that is to remove every obstacle between providers and patients by digitizing the healthcare hiring process. Uh, And you probably already know this, Alexi, I have about 17 years of talent acquisition and professional experience on top of, you know, being a pharmacist. So when I hear you talk about that, it's like really like strikes, um, you know, to the center and the core of what I do and, and what I believe. And in the eight years that Nomad Health has been around, um, you have done some remarkable things, right? You know, you've grown your organization now to over 500 employees. You've helped over 300,000 clinicians find new opportunities with about 4,000 different healthcare facilities across the entire country, coast to coast, in every state. In the last three years, uh, you know, Nomad Health has been quite prominently, uh, you know, um, talked about in, in many media circles, including the New Yorker, Newsweek. I am that mistaken. Just like last year, I believe that Nomad Health was, uh, you know, uh, had raised $105 million in equity uh, as part of its expansion to not just health uh, traveling nurses, but now moving on to physical therapists and other allied health professionals. And even this year, the staffing industry analyst, which is um, uh, a part of Uh, a a large organization actually recognized Nomad Health as number one of the best staffing firms to work for in North America. Uh, And these are all very remarkable feats uh, for a company that has been, you know, really focused on trying to address uh, the shortages that we're seeing across the board. Um, You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the things that, you know, when you think about how Nomad Health has like, you know, been able to lead in this space, are there Challenges that you saw in the beginning that now you can say today has has really surmounted to uh, maybe a significant success in the last six or 12 months. Um, or is there still like another challenge that you see? Because I know that as Nomad Health is expanding, you're starting to bring new uh, health professionals under this umbrella to help them find opportunities. Talk to me a little bit about some of the successes that you're most proud of or that things that you see as Nomad Health being, you know, leading the charge for in the next 12 or 18 months that that nobody else is even thinking about. Um, I think that the... Um... The thing that I,
1: you know, I would be most, uh, i most proud of, and I'm still committed to, is the fact that we are really trying, and now it seems to be succeeding at changing the narrative and the function of this, uh, of this very important industry. So, for those who are listening, who don't really know much about this industry, we're talking about the temporary staffing industry in healthcare, and so this is. Um, people like traveling nurses and locum tenens doctors and, um, you know, uh, uh, contingent allied health workers, etc., and you know this is a very large market that has been growing for decades and the pandemic did not create this it's a um it's a problem decades in the making it's largely related to some pretty fundamental shortcomings in the way that we've set up the workforce in healthcare um notably the gap between supply of healthcare workers and demand from health, from uh, patients so as our, patient, as our patient population ages, especially as the baby boom generation gets older and older, they're turning 65 very rapidly, about 10,000 people a day, and people that age 65 and older consume about three times as much healthcare services, dollars uh, a year as people under the age of 65. So you have this like very rapidly increasing need for healthcare, uh, but at the same time, we have a, a supply of workforce uh, healthcare workforce that isn't keeping pace there aren't uh you know we're not graduating enough nurses and doctors etc every year uh we're seeing an increased rate of turnover of, of of retirement even early retirement due to a variety of factors like burnout and sort of disillusionment with the increasingly complex way of practicing um health and, and um and so you've got this, you've had this problem brewing for a very long time. And one of the big solutions has been providing contingent labor to fill these gaps, you know, sort of trying to, ex, uh, benefit from the, the excess capacity or late uh, you know, inappropriately, uh, in effect, inefficiently distributed capacity of the healthcare system to close some of that gap. And you can't close all of it, but some of that gap and, um, the fact that uh this market has existed for so long, but hasn't and at the time that we that we started the company hadn't really um had any kind of technology intervention. It was still a very manual market, you know, it created a huge opportunity for um uh, you know, for some modernization through the, the introduction of technology and uh, and processes that you know existed in many other markets that sort of made that transition from um, offline to online. Um, the fact that that has been a largely successful transformation. I mean, we're still undergoing it in this market. I think that is the thing of which I am the most proud. Obviously, Nomad has benefited as an individual company, but more importantly, and going back to you know, my own motivations for, for, you know, everything that I've done in my healthcare career has been improving healthcare. This is one way to do that, which is to um, reduce, uh, reduce waste, improve efficiency, and frankly, get uh, providers to the bedside where patients need them. And, um, and, so you know, there's any number of, you know, smaller wins, and you mentioned a lot of them in your in your preamble just a moment ago. But those are all, you know, in service of and derivative of um, this bigger contribution that I think we're making, and the fact that now so many other companies have come into this space—we were the first technology, you know, a player in this space. The fact that many others have come in, I think, is a real validation. The fact that um, so many of the uh, leaders, uh, you know, that, that that were leading the market before Nomad was a company, are trying to adopt some of the. Um the strategies and innovations that we have created i think is a a very um very rewarding um and validating uh, expression of of what
0: it is that we've been that we've been working on and and as and as i said something i'm very proud of I love that, and you know, it's always I'm I'm always curious whenever I speak with co-founders and CEOs, right? Because there's usually a personal connection to the issue that prompts them to want to create something when there is either an absence or or maybe just a, a substandard uh, solution. So I'm always curious, like as a physician, and I've been asked this question before, like why would you stop being a pharmacist and move into a different realm? Why would you leave the patient bedside uh, or you know stop working with patients? So I'm always curious, like what is it that led you as a physician to to leave? that role uh and to start this company
1: there are many things uh but i will i will highlight two things one is that um given my interest long standing interest in um systems improvement that's uh, where i started my career very luckily um the opportunity to have impact at a larger scale is always very um attractive and so in some ways, you know, as a clinician, you can be extraordinarily effective and productive and maybe touch the lives of 10 or 15,000 patients over the course of your career. But when you take a step back um, from the day-to-day practice and sort of give up some of that depth of relationship and depth of engagement with the patient in exchange for breadth, you can start talking about impacting millions of patients. And I think that, that was very appealing, uh, very appealing to me. Um, I I also would say that, uh, so that was one of the things that pulled me towards the work that I'm doing. One of the things that pushed me towards the work that I'm doing is that um, even over the course of my short career as a clinician, call it about 10 or 12 years, um, the nature of the practice of medicine changed a lot in in such a short time. And you imagine that you play that out over a course of a 30, 40 year career, how much it would change. And it changed not in a good way. I mean, the the level of of administrative work, the um, sort of distance created between the clinician and the patient, um, the lack of flexibility all got worse uh, over that short period of time. And, you know, The same way that many of the people that do the kind of work that we're enabling, which is this flexible, you know, um, contingent work as a clinician, are the same way that they are uh, seeking flexibility, I in some ways was seeking freedom and flexibility from some of the strictures of participating in the way that modern medicine is I, I, it was hard as a, a as a practicing doc to have any control over my life and that was um, you know that's that's dispiriting after you know doing thirty years of schooling to really not have total control is is a or even some modicum of control uh, over you know when when you'll be doing what and where and who tells you what to do it's just kind of frustrating and so I think that um, that pushed me a little away to do something like what I'm doing now. So, um, you know, I think there are many, many, many aspects. I was more pulled by the, the former, the opportunity of impact at scale, than pushed by the latter, you know, the frustration with the, the modes of practice today. But, um, you know, I think those are the, the two sides of the coin that really resulted in me, um, uh, you know, jumping out to do this thing. And then, of course, this specific opportunity to work on this problem with the people that I got to co-found the company with, and now later, the hundreds of people that we get to work with, was extraordinarily attractive. And, you know, like, I'm a curious, interested person, and to be able to have a, a gnarly problem with interesting solutions to work on for years is, is very intellectually stimulating. And so there, there was the unique aspect of this, too, that was, um, you know, that pulled me into it.
0: And so, I mean, for the eight years that you've been helping clinicians, you know, through their the temporary staffing, like, I'm sure you've heard some great success stories from the individuals that have come and worked with you, right? So, you know, what are some of the experiences or maybe like an individual story where you can say that like this person was struggling in that, you know, limited capacity of autonomy to where, where they were working and they found Nomad Health. Like, do you hear from your, you know, your, your clinicians? How often do they like, you know, feed, feed, feed up positive, uh, you know, uh, experiences and is there one that sticks out for you today where you think like this is their this is validation this is why we do what we do because of people like her or him
1: yeah Now I, I talk to our clinicians all the time in fact i'm connecting with someone uh right after we do this recording i'm talking to one of our uh travelers um you know there are so many great stories i think you know everyone's story is uh is encouraging and exciting for the reason that they got to do exactly what they wanted to do whether it was you know um travel to a place that they found interesting or practice in, a, in an environment that was uh new and and a source of uh learning for them or um you know getting a chance to you know take back control of their of their careers and their and their lives all those things in every one of my conversations with these folks that's that is something you know something like that comes up i mean i can recall I spoke with a a traveling nurse, um, several months ago who works through Nomad and because of working through Nomad, she was able to, you know, pay down all of her school debt, um, uh, buy a home, pay off all of her credit card debt. Um, you know, like really get out from under the thumb of, um, of some of the financial challenges that she had, you know, I've talked with, um, I've talked with, uh, some, you know, uh some some people travel in in pairs um they're you know like uh like uh uh partners and you know hearing some of the sort of like you know personal personal things that come out of uh the opportunity to really you know travel the country and take care of patients and uh you know and so the number of marriages have come out of our come out really? of our people you know That's traveling over the country and then of course and then of course you know we've been doing this for eight years but the last three years, uh, with with COVID, it was it was really special to see, you know, all these people responding to the call, the noble call to, uh, go where they were needed. Um, and, you know, just seeing them literally suit up, you know, where PPE for, you know, 12 hours a day, 20 hours a day, um, and not get to have any real human interaction, but going where the, you know, the COVID, uh, spike was the worst and being in an ICU and administering to patients and seeing lots of them, unfortunately die. Um, you know, just seeing the, the, the true, um, the true passion for caring was very, very uh, rewarding. And so you know there's so many different things, so many different individual stories that uh, that really um, stand out. but essentially what has been the most um, the most uh, common thread for me that makes me excited about this is that everybody's motivations are a little bit different, but Nomad has been able to help them get there faster. Or more easily. And I think that is the, um, you know, that's exactly what we set out to do is to remove some of the inefficiencies and frustrations associated with this, with this market so that they can go do the things that they're uniquely qualified to do, which is to take care of patients in a way that, um, you know, others can't.
0: Yeah, And I absolutely love those stories because I think that they are just a constant reminder of how everyone is at a different phase in their both personal and professional life. But solutions like these are critical in order to be able to maintain just some sense of sanity in some cases. Uh, but obviously, in, the, in, in other cases, uh, they relate really to romantic relationships that are, you know, uh, cemented. And, and that's just also great as well. You know, I know that there's many of my listeners today that come from uh, a talent acquisition world as well as an academic world, right? These are schools uh, that are producing, you know, nurses and pharmacists and doctors. Uh, and I'm sure they were all agree that there is definitely a challenges in that space of being able to, to find the next generation of healthcare professionals. Like, What are some factors that you feel that the listeners can take home and say, we need to work on this because this is in our bubble or this is our wheelhouse? Like, how can we help address the healthcare workforce shortage today? And, in five years from now, because we know the stats, and they are not good yeah i mean it's a it is a very
1: difficult problem to solve in its totality um, I think there are a number of things, depending on where you sit in the healthcare world um there are a number of different things that one can do um I think one of the biggest uh general themes is to um is to make working in medicine more appealing than it, than uh than it is today. And I, I referenced that before for my for my own story, but I think it's really a truth of so many um of so many people who seek refuge in this kind of um contingent work. And so you know if we can um if we can reduce the overhead burden, the cognitive load of you know all of this administrative work, all of the keying in this and that data for billing purposes into, you know, electronic medical records and jumping through hoops around, you know, this rule or that rule and this credentialing and that credentialing. And, you know, there's just so much, there's just a thicket of well-intentioned, but uh, collectively awful, uh, you know, regulation and, um, and, you know, sort of organization that has made the practice of medicine much less enjoyable and therefore much less sustainable. And so, depending on where you sit, whether you're in an insurance company or a hospital administration or you know you name it, there's definitely something that can be done to um, to to improve uh, improve the lot of the clinician if you really th- focus your effort on. We we often and very appropriately think about what's the right thing for the patient. We also need to think, though, about what is good for the provider, because they're the ones who are actually creating the care that those patients come to seek. And so if you burn those people out, we're really in a bad spot. And so, um, you know, always question. I would say question everything, that you know, that is the the status quo and say, does this make sense? Should we keep doing this thing and uh, and try to you go back to first principles and say, is this really adding any value or is this just creating work? Um, I think that's a a great place to start. I think another thing is, so that's that's making the profession more attractive, which will help attract new people, but also retain those who have already, you know, entered the profession. And then I do really think that there is an educational uh, issue here, which is that, uh, you know the pipeline of new professionals is um, is definitely insufficient to meet the growing needs of our healthcare system, and so um, you know there that is a tough problem to solve. But there are some in you know fixes that we can make. For example, last year I think or last year or the year before, every year approximately ninety thousand uh, nursing a- applicants to nursing school are turned away because there isn't enough. Uh, there are not enough nurse educators. And why are there not enough nurse educators? Because it's not a rewarding profession. It's not paid well. Um, you know, there isn't enough training to do that kind of stuff. So like, that's a solvable problem. There's 90,000 people that want to be a nurse, and we're saying, sorry, we don't have the capacity to treat you, to, to teach you. I mean, that's absurd. And so That's a, you know, that's a whole industry solution. That's government, that's insurers, that's hospitals, that's everybody, um, you know, teaming up to say like, it's better to, uh, it's better to, you know, make a small investment up front um, and, you know, to reap substantial rewards in, in the long run. As they say, a stitch in time saves nine. And I think that um, that's kind of the situation that we're in. No silver bullets, though, honestly. There's no no one thing that we can do to address the healthcare workforce problem, Um, but we should do all of the things so that 10 years from now, when we look back and say, why didn't we do that in
0: 2023? Uh, we won't, you know, we won't be kicking ourselves. I, I agree. And, you know, I like the fact that you said said that as you did, because I feel that too many administrators or too many executives feel like, listen, the, the time investment, the cost investment to do multiple things and to be able to keep them accountable and, and on the right track is, is labor intensive. So let's just pick one and then that's it. And the reality is, as you pointed out, that that's not suitable. Uh, and I really would love to be able to see, you know, organizations come up whether they're you know private or public uh, to come up with these solutions at a faster pace. Right now, we're just essentially trying to exhaust the policies that we have and, and trying to push some of the limits. But it's absolutely not enough. Um, so I do agree with you 100 percent with that, Alexi. Alexa, we've talked a lot about, you know, some of the, the challenges that Nomad Health has been working on and, and really leading again in this space of locum tenens and, and talking about some of the factors that have been causing this workforce shortage. You know, I'd like to pivot a little bit and talk a little bit more about you. You've had a very interesting career. You've seen and, and done quite a bit. Uh, as many of the listeners know, you are the co-founder and CEO of Nomad Health. You're also an assistant professor at Weill Cornell Medicine. Uh, and prior to this, you had served as a resident physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital and you were a clinical fellow at Harvard Medical School. You know, you you've had the opportunity to interact with the sickest of patients, uh, the most broken of systems, whether they are you know you know internal or external and, and through partnerships. Uh, and you know this opportunity that you created in partnership with many of your colleagues, uh, you know, was really a phenomenal step. Uh, there's a lot of people that listen to this show that think you know I want to be able to solve for problems. I don't know how. Uh, And so I always love to ask guests, like, you know, how I'd love to understand a little bit about the members of your your executive leadership team, maybe how you started your relationship or where that relationship first began and and how you identified them as partners that were going to be able to contribute to the growth and the expansion of Nomad Health uh, because they believed in the mission as well.
1: Um, I am very lucky to work with an outstanding leadership team. Um, And that team over eight years has really evolved several times. Um, I think that was, that's been one of the most interesting learnings. This is the first time I've started a company and, and, and uh, run it this long. (laughs) So uh, this was a big learning for me, but seeing how um, uh, the needs of the company evolve over time and and so some people are really great in those uh, early stages you know getting from 0 to 1 and then you need another set of skills to get from 1 to 10 and then another set of skills from 10 to 1000 and so um uh it has been uh, it has been a very um an interesting journey uh, meeting and uh, and uh, bringing on board a lot of these really outstanding people, and every single person we've been very lucky every single person on our leadership team, regardless of the stage that they've been with us um has been has been a strong leader and made the exact contributions that we needed them to make in those in those time frames um and over time, the way in which you um the way in which you find those people changes too, so in the early days, you know you're really looking for um, you know, generalists who can, you know, keep a lot of plates spinning. And as a result, you know, you're just looking for, um, uh, you know, you're looking a lot for, you know, attitudes and, uh, and motivations. And so a lot of that comes from, you know, your personal networking, you know, like, will I be able to, will I be able to, uh, be in a foxhole with this person and who knows what's going to come and hit us. And, um, you know, let's, uh, And and so a lot of that comes through, uh, you know, through your social and professional networks. Um, but as you, as you grow and as you, um, uh, get from, you know, from zero to one, now you're in one ten and 10 to a thousand, um, you're seeking more and more specific skill sets, more and more experience. Um, and, um, and then that becomes a, a totally different kind of search. I mean, that's a, um, that is often, you know, often you have to use your own, uh, you know, either internal or external recruiting firms and, um, and, uh, you know, looking at the talent that's been in the industry or done this kind of thing, uh, then this, this or that skill, maybe not in the same industry, but doing the same kind of role. And, um, and that is, um, that's like finding a needle in a haystack but once you once you find it it's just such a such a great fit and so so um additive and so really it's totally evolutionary there's no single piece of advice that you know i i there's no single rule that i've been able to follow um uh you know for for all these different types of hires over different stages with the sole exception, of course, of, you know, making sure that there is good, uh, good chemistry, not only between me and the person, but also between that person and, and our, and our culture, all the other, all the other leaders. And so um, uh, I I think that it's probably one of the most important things that you can do as a, at least as a CEO is, is, is uh, curate the team. And we've been very lucky to to be able to find and convince a bunch of really great people
0: to get on board on the journey. I like that, and I think it's really—I mean, it—it's evident to me when you speak that you know the relationship that's built both at the beginning and throughout the courses as, as you struggle and, and battle through these things. Like that strengthens that relationship. You get to see their strengths, and you get to see what I did not notice that before. But wow, that is an asset to this company that I am going to leverage again for the for the next opportunity that may present itself. It's really remarkable, uh, Alexa. You know, one of the things that I always ask my guests to do is you know come on the show and talk about an individual that's really been instrumental in helping each of us become the successes that we are today you know we're, we're very intelligent people we have education we've we've tried new things and that's great uh, but none of that was just because we were special somebody else understood that Hey, you know, this guy this individual uh you know we should be given an opportunity and they actually worked on our behalf to help create those opportunities um, or you know motivate us inspire us or train us to be better um, is there somebody that you would like to thank on the show today for you know helping you become who you are? and and tell us a little bit about that person and how they were able to help you try or become the person that you are today?
1: There are so many people who have shaped me and are shaping me along this journey and will continue to for many years to come, I'm sure. Um, I think the um the the person that i'll I'll highlight here. Uh, given our conversation to this point, <clears throat> was my first boss um, out of um, uh, out of college. I went to work at the, uh, as I told you, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, and I had the privilege of working directly for the CEO of that organization. It's a not pro- not for profit organization focused on um, uh, systems improvement, quality improvement, patient safety in healthcare. His name is Don Berwick, and Don. Um, was an, is an exemplary leader in, in the field of healthcare in so many different ways um, and just a, a really uh, outstanding professional. But I think probably the most important lesson that I learned from him, especially as it relates to the work that I do now in healthcare as well, is um, it, a laser focus on what really matters, which is who are you doing this for? for and why. And I was able to observe in don a genuine commitment to, um, to the patients who are the ultimate, uh, the ultimate consumer of everything that we do in healthcare. This whole $4 trillion industry is organized around helping people in their time of need. And that genuine compassion that he, uh, uh, that he expressed in every venue in every medium um, in every decision small or large in the company outside of the company um, was I think an extraordinarily powerful frame for me to see that authenticity um, and uh, and recognize that that is the source of um, that is the source of true leadership um, is that if you if you are committed to the right thing, if, if you are focused on the right thing and committed to it, it's obvious and people want to do the right thing with you. And so, um, you know, this is a small organization, you know, maybe 115 people, but the impact that it has had uh, across the world really um, is phenomenal. And um, and I think that derives a lot from uh, from the way in which uh don thinks speaks acts and the way that he treats his staff and he treats the people that um that uh you know are the recipients of the work it is a uh i think it's a real a real tour de force in uh, compassionate leadership and um i learned a lot just by uh, by observing him um and uh and so you know i i credit a lot of my you know sort of uh, professional soul to the way in which he, the way in which
0: he, uh, operated. I love that professional soul, and and to have a role model uh, that really you know exemplifies what what quality looks like is is not as common anymore as uh, as I once remember. And I don't mean that to be a slam on anyone, but I just feel that you know today you know the the social media influences really have sort of superseded the next generation of what good looks like. But when you have somebody that you get to like literally watch in action and go, this is this is what I need to become. Uh, is really really great. Uh, so I appreciate you sharing that, and thank you for sharing uh, your. Uh, thank you for sharing his name as well, Alexei, What do you see next? Like in the next maybe twelve or eighteen months for yourself and or Nomad Health? Like there's a lot of things that I'm sure you guys are doing today to maintain. You know what your what your focus is. Are there different areas that Nomad Health is looking to pursue? Is there a different initiatives that you guys are considering? And I'd love to have a better understanding of you know, what 2025 might hold for you and the company. There's always something
1: new and exciting on the horizon for us. We're a you know a growth company that's focused on innovation. Um, and you know, even though it's been eight years, it's still early in the journey of a long, uh, the long journey of of becoming a a truly important, what I hope to be generationally important healthcare company. I mean, I, I know that might sound grandiose, but uh keeping that uh keeping that level of uh or that bar for for um for success has been a real motivator, not only for me, but for our whole team. So there's always something you know new and exciting. At the same time, when you think about the next 12 to 18 months. Um, it's very important to especially in this much more challenging environment that we're in right now both macroeconomically and also in our specific industry in the short-term staffing market of healthcare um it's it's been a you know a challenging 12 or 18 months uh, up to this point and i expect it will it will still be you know quite challenging for the next year or so and so um as much as we want to be picking up new shiny objects and um and you know putting our brains to work on on you know the next problem and the next problem and the next problem we really have to stay focused on solving the problems that we've already uh, taken on and i often say to our team we have to win somewhere before we can win everywhere and so um i you know i think we are you know, 8 years in we're very very close to the close to, you know, a good milestone in terms of, um, uh, you know, fully and, uh, and, and effectively addressing the problems that we set out to address. Um, And so we want to, we want to make sure we get to that point. Um, Of course, we'll always have some other irons in the fire, but, um, but, you know, focus is a, is a very important, um, is a very important attitude, especially in a, in a market like we're in right now.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's it's refreshing for me to hear that, honestly, Alexi, because I feel that sometimes, you know, the the new shiny object is what everybody has, uh, you know, is is always referring to in terms of how to be better. And instead of focusing on what the core values and what the core focus is, uh, they think that by introducing new ideas is is really going to be supplemental. But I love the 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 clarity that you bring when you speak to your team about how to, you know, before you win anywhere or everywhere, you have to win. Uh, in one place. And I like that. That's a lot. Uh, It's really refreshing.
1: We always have to remind ourselves that the problem that we chose to solve in the first place is a problem worth solving. In other words, you don't need to go look somewhere else for true excitement because... What we've got here is, you know, we're operating in a market that has tripled in size over the life of our company. That the problems in which we are solving, the problems which we are solving, have gotten only more challenging and more pressing. And the reward for solving those problems are um, it, it has has uh, become very substantial, both, you know, of course, from a financial perspective, but even more importantly, from a substantive perspective. The, 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 in our case, this. Workforce shortage is really, really showing exactly how impactful it is on on our society. And so, just quote unquote, just doing what we've set out to do is a hugely valuable thing to do. So, you know, sometimes you you seek out you know, new exciting, shiny objects because you're bored with the thing that you that you've been playing with. And and there's nothing to be bored about right here. I mean, it's a, a really phenomenal opportunity as well as like a great. Uh, position that we're in as a company, so I think the um, you know, honestly, you know, re- reminding yourself of that often is a very important um, uh, is a very important task uh, as a you know, as a as a
0: as a leadership team, and, and certainly just as a whole company, absolutely. Alexi, when you, you know, you've talked about your team and, you know, not just at the executive level, right, but across the entire enterprise, like there are new individuals that join and there are individuals that have been with you probably since at least five years, maybe more, maybe even from the beginning. Uh, And there's always opportunities for professional development and leadership development. So when you think about resources that you have maybe recently brought into your team to help the next generation or the next level of leaders what are some of the resources that you recommend when people are either first you know first time managers or first time directors or you know directors and leaders that are facing un, un, un different challenges today where you're thinking like this book or this video may be helpful for you because it was helpful for me when I when I first encountered it. Is there something that our listeners could walk away from thinking, you know, Alexi said it, and so I'm going to go check it out?
1: Oh, gosh, I mean, there's truly a whole, um, uh, you know, a whole library of uh, things you can read and, and, uh, and courses you can take and videos you can watch. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't say the I wouldn't Say that there's any specific thing that is like a the thing you've got to do. Um, but I think a uh, a commitment to working on that stuff, not just assuming that by being thrust into the position of let's say, let's say you you give the example of a first time manager. just by virtue of being a manager doesn't teach you how to be a manager. You have to be a student just the same way that you were in school to learn about how to do this new skill. And so um, seeking out, um, you know, external uh, sources of information uh, that have thought about the problem and, you know, have uh, tried and true advice is I think very, very important. And like creating that time for your own professional development um, is, is quite valuable. I think sometimes we say, oh gosh, I'm just, I'm working so many hours a week. There's no time for me to, go do this or that thing to expand my professional skill set but that is your job and if you want to be actually good at the thing that you're spending so many hours on a week you probably should go uh you probably should go and and uh read that book or listen to that podcast or watch that video or enroll in that course um it's totally worth it um and so um you know i i would encourage people to read those kinds of uh those kinds of resources and remember most of the problems that you're facing have are not unique you know they've been they've been experienced and solved by so many people who came before you so definitely you know the answer is out there you just got to go find it i think some really great general places to look are uh you know i think that you can get as much out of a as a out of a you know short or medium you know magazine article as a 300 page book and so start there you know i think i've always found uh the um the vignettes and case studies and articles in the harvard business review or hbr as it's often called to be extremely valuable um they are um uh, they're thoughtful. They're based on real life scenarios. Um, and there's often a lot of research uh, that has gone into those. So, you know, that that's a that's a great place to, you know, find it, find an article, and read it, find an article, and read one
0: every week or something like that. I like that. And, you know, I, I really want to commend the fact that you introduced the conf- the concept of uh, discipline. Right. In order to be able to enact what you are extracting from the reading. Uh, because it's very common for people to, you know, go buy a brand new book that is talking about a subject matter that's been, you know, talked about many, many times, and it sits on the shelf once it's been read, and you know, I, you know, people just kind of check it off, like, okay, I've read it, therefore I know it, and it's not the case. You really have to apply it in your personal situation or professional environment, and I like that as well. Yeah. That's um, actually it's interesting that
1: uh, I talked about Don Berwick and the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. One of the sort of core tenets of um, of improvement science is, you know, small tests of change, and so you often are. You often hear this phrase: well, "What can you do by next Tuesday?" And I think that's as as true about fixing you know processes as it is about. Um, uh, your leadership style, your management style, for example. So to your point, you know, try it, apply it, uh, you know, learn, you learn something and try it on, you know, in one meeting or on on, on one essay that you write or whatever the you know unit of, of uh, activity is um, unless, unless you, you know, uh, unless you uh, put it out into the real world, it'll always just remain on the pages of the book or the magazine. And so
0: I think that trying, trying is how you actually learn. So Alex, that that brings up a good question because I've heard this conversation brought up in a few different magazines as well that the the concept of fail fast, fail forward is dead now. Uh, and that's only because of the you know probably from the financial uh, economic uh, climate that we're in. But do you feel that that still holds true? Do you feel that, you know, new ma- managers of whatever tenure, people should consistently fail fast and fail forward? Or is it a matter of being prudent in terms of which avenues to pursue with the no, with the knowledge of risk that's going to be taken? Well, unless somehow overnight
1: all, all of humanity became perfect, I'm, I'm not sure how we can avoid this concept of failure. And so, um, you know whether whether you call it failure or you call it you know uh, trial and error or like that, like you have to actually learn um and so what I mean, I'm sure there's gonna be some new term if this one is dead, then there'll be a new one but 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 the concept of um, not only learning from your successes i e your best practices but also learning from your modes of failure, I think is the core of learning um in this kind of situation um. And so, no, I don't. I don't think that 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 general approach is gone. I think the idea of there, there's a difference from there's a difference between um, uh, learning from learning from your mistakes and moving too fast and breaking a lot of things and, you know, sort of like intentionally amping up the rate of failure. Those are different things. I think a lot of, especially in the technology world, you, you know, these last 15 years of low interest rates and therefore extraordinary, you know, cap uh, amounts of capital flowing into companies, essentially necessitated the you know, like the turning up of the dial and just like moving at a pace beyond which, uh, you know, you could you could reasonably expect to have high quality, um, you know, high quality learning cycles. Um, so, I mean, will there always be failure? Yes. Should you be uh, intentional about learning from those failures? Yes. What may be going away is simply the, you know, sort of like, uh, The mix, what might change is the mix is the mix of failure and success. I think maybe, you know, we were, we dialed over to, you know, a level where it was almost by definition, you were going to fail more than you succeeded.
0: Interesting. That's a good analogy. And, and I appreciate the insights on that because I feel that sometimes people just kind of lump everything together, but the distinguishing factors are are helpful in that. Uh, Lexi, whenever you meet somebody, right, uh, whether it's at a conference, at an event, maybe even during an interview, uh, you know, there's some things that probably strike you about that individual that are immediately like ringing off some good bells in your ear. You might be thinking, wow, you know this person you know brings these qualities to this conversation and i think that whether we have a position or not we should introduce him or her to other people because these are things that you cannot be taught they just have these knowledge skills Qualities that we think would be an asset to our company. Uh, and so, as a leader, I always like to ask like, what are three qualities that you look for in people during conversations where you think this would be really advantageous for us to to bring in into nomad health uh, and maybe even have them either lead um you know, initiatives, lead projects, or just become a part of this culture because this is this is this is gold.
1: yeah. Um, of course. Every uh, every leader will have slightly different opinions, every company will have slightly different needs, every uh culture will have you know slightly different uh things that will work. In my world, I I think that um uh, I, I, in, I index a lot on a couple of on a few things. One is um optimism. Um I think that a a person who is um focused on the possibilities um, focus on the opportunity, um, and has a general predisposition to thinking that, okay, this is going to work out. I'm going to figure this out. Um, that I think is always a good indicator of someone who is going to be successful. You know, they've got a dreamer and a little fire in their belly. And I think that that is a, um, I have found that to be a, a a very positive characteristic. It also it also uh meshes very well with with my with my you know sort of um i connect well with people like that so that matters to me a lot uh, probably a cousin of of uh, optimism is kindness i think that uh you know i think that there is um a, a great value to being kind in other words to be kind you kind of you have to be um, you have to be positive, and um, and I think that's why it's a cousin of optimism. You have to be able to see the see the positive opportunity in every person and every situation, um, and you have to have also at the same time a, a pretty good tolerance, uh, meaning that yeah, things can go up and things can go down, but that shouldn't change your attitude towards towards other people and other situations. And so, I think uh, kindness goes a very long way. It's often, I think, not a characteristic that is considered as you know definitive of of high quality high performance organizations and i think there's probably a reason for that right you know the hard charging you know uh sharp elbowed um uh archetype has been very very successful in the sort of hero narrative but i think a lot of a lot of the not on the front page kind of success is derivative of people being kind to one another ultimately, especially in the world that we're in, which is we're not doing like physics-based problems. You don't, you can't be kind to the universe and expect the universe to bend the rules of nature. But when you are in business or in healthcare or something like that, where these are truly just human-based systems, actually having positive relationships with people, I think increases the likelihood that you will uh, achieve things together. Um, and so I, I really index on kindness. And then the last thing, I would say is some version of commitment or discipline, meaning, um, uh, an, an ability to stick to it. Um, most things that are worth doing, most things that are impactful are hard and they take time and there's very little, uh, overnight success. And so, um, I often, I often, uh, highly value people who have Done things for a long time. Um, I, I certainly have a lot of respect for the uh, uh, for the sort of um, upside potential of, of people and situations, but demonstrated commitment and long term um, and long term discipline to you know a problem, a situation, a company, a education, whatever it is, I think is a a real sign of grit um in order for you to be optimistic you also have to have gone through the ups and downs so going back to my first uh you know thing that i look for in order for you to actually be optimistic you have to have some sort of um understanding of highs and lows and therefore some respect for the you know the context you basically say like yeah i'm, I'm sure this will work out because i've seen i've seen it go up and down before because i've been through a, a cycle of this for x years or something like that and that is the. I have evidence for optimism, and so I think that you know commitment is a, is certainly a um, uh, a very positive trait for, uh, for anyone who hopes to be successful in in life.
0: I hope my listeners are are taking notes on those. I, I think the uh, the optimism and kindness different uh, factor differentiation is is actually very helpful uh, in that space, right? I've seen tenacity and you know, having discipline, uh, but kindness is something that is definitely undervalued uh, and not necessarily brought up in enough conversations. Uh, so I love all three of them. So thank you for sharing that with us as well, Alexi. Alexi, we've covered a lot of ground in the hour that we've been together. I'm very excited and having spent this much with you. Is there, you know, I always like to give my guests the opportunity to talk about, you know, a topic or a conversation piece that maybe we haven't touched on yet. Um, And so I always say, like, is there something that, you know, if the listeners today were to walk away with one piece of either action, uh, a one action item or something for them to go back and really reflect upon, like, what would that one thing be that you would want the listeners to say? I'm going to take some time and reflect on this because the the guest that I listened to this time was, I mean, just incredible.
1: (laughs) Well, I I don't know about that part, but um, you know, I think that um, I guess it kind of comes right back to what I just was saying about, um, about optimism. I think it is very easy in our lives right now to be Unduly influenced in a negative direction because of, let's say we're, let's just say your you, your listeners are in the United States. We're on the precipice, maybe of a recession. We have high inflation. We have uh, extraordinary, you know, sort of political unrest and division. Um, you know, we're we're recording this in the summer, and it's the hottest summer on record, and. <laughs> You know like you know climate change like there's a lot of reasons that you could hang your hat on and say like gosh everything's terrible <laughs> you know and uh and i think you've got to see the uh you know the opportunity in the world there have been plenty of very bad periods in the history of humanity and the ingenuity and the commitment and the capability of individual humans and collectives of people, uh, whether they be teams, companies, nations, or something else, um, has always overcome those difficulties. And so, um, you know, I think we should not let our fear of, uh, you know, of the accumulated negative uh, that surrounds us to govern our choices. Um, you know, like, I I... I I think that this is especially important in a place like healthcare where um everything seems so hard. You've got, you know, a hundred years of of uh systems and practices and uh and medicines and structures and you know, that that are, have conspired to put us in the position that we're in now. And it feels like, Oh my goodness, how am I going to solve any problem? It seems insurmountable and yet it's possible. And I think that, um, I think that, um, I, I would, I would encourage all of your listeners. I encourage myself to not be governed by fear, especially in a moment where there are many things to fear. Um, What's the worst that could happen about being optimistic? It, you know, like really, truly, what is the worst thing that could ask yourself that question? Like, would you you rather just succumb to the fear and put yourself on a downward spiral or try to be optimistic and see if there's a way through the woods? At worst, you end up back on the negative, you know, like it didn't work out and all those things that you could have feared, uh, you actually come true. That's the worst thing that could happen why not at least give it a try to see you know that if you could find a way through the woods and you know what you probably will and if you didn't try you wouldn't have found it so i think um we must all you know have the fortitude to to
0: press on so i i love that statement because i feel that you know many of many people have been through despair and through depression right but despair and depression are very debilitating Uh, And so to adopt that mindset versus, you know, staying optimistic, I think is really a differentiating factor between those people who find success, uh, but they also have like the best life possible, professional and personal speaking. Alexi, thank you, Dr. Nazim. I really appreciate you being on the show. We're very excited that you were able to come on and talk to us about so many great things that are happening uh, with you and with Nomad Health. I'm very excited to see what the future holds for you and your company and certainly wishing you nothing but success. And I'm looking forward to continue to seeing you take healthcare to a higher level.
1: Thank you so much. Enjoyed being here today.
0: Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Higher podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, visit me at www.atchainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.